you weren't here last week, Scott Gurley, one of our governing elders of the chapel, introduced our Advent series. Uh, Scott did a fantastic job. Um, it's also amazing to see now that we're, as we're transitioning, seeing now um, our elders take some of the responsibility of the preaching to give me a break. Um, he did a fantastic job of introducing the Advent series. And if you don't know what Advent means, Advent means arrival, right? That's what Advent means. It means arrival and the church, universal church, for centuries has celebrated in the church calendar a season, four weeks, um, typically in, in our American calendar, it's after Thanksgiving. It's four weeks to orient the church's heart, its posture, its mind to an idea. And that idea is arrival, right? It's, it's this idea of celebrating and remembering that Jesus came to this earth. And then um, a second purpose is um, not only to remember and celebrate, right? Because our hearts are prone to forget. That is the heart of man. To forget, right? This is the history of God's people in the Old Testament. This is the history of the church in the New Testament, right? We are prone to forget what God has done for you and me. So the church has decided we're going to celebrate and remember God's unfolding, redeeming plan for you and me through a, a baby. And secondly, the purpose of Advent that we see throughout the history and that we'll celebrate this year is to stir our hearts, right? To stir the people of God, to give them an expectation that the story of Christmas the story of Jesus' arrival is not the end of the story. It's a hopeful story that he's coming back again. Right? So when we're celebrating the birth of Jesus this morning and for the next several weeks, and when you guys are unwrapping Christmas gifts for your family, we are reminded that the story doesn't end with a baby in fact, the story doesn't end on the cross. In fact, what we realize is the story is just beginning and that he's coming back and he's going to establish the kingdom that he said he will establish. So Christmas is less about gifts and trees and family fun and food, right? Because that's what the world does. And those things are not bad. It's not bad to celebrate Christmas. You're not, I'm not one of those uh, independent fundamental Baptists, right? That like, no Christmas. We're just going to have a cross in the living room, right? No, that's, that's not me, right? <laughs> we're, we're, it's good to celebrate Christmas, but our priority is to remember and not forget the real meaning of Christmas and also not to forget and remember that he's coming back so I'm going to read to you in Isaiah chapter 9. This is a famous passage in the Old Testament concerning the birth of Jesus. And this is what the prophet Isaiah says. I'm just going to read two verses. Starting in verse 6 on page 553 in the Pewback Bible, Isaiah 9. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. If you'd like to highlight in your Bible, I would highlight two things. 
A child is born, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is a powerful testimony of the work of God through his son Jesus. And in the Advent series, right, we celebrate that great power and work through Jesus through four words. Four words that the church um, has focused on. Last week we talked about hope. This week we talked about peace. We're going to talk about peace. And it's interesting that when you read the Old Testament, um, the Old Testament has a word for peace. It's called shalom. Everyone say shalom. Every time I think of the word shalom, I think of an old TV show. I never watched it, but I always saw the commercials for it. It was like shalom in the home. And, and, and it's this idea, right? Um, in the Old Testament, it's a word that is to describe. It's, it's really complex. We, we think it's like a truce, a pact, an agreement. Um, we think of peace in a sense of like the absence of, of discord and disunity and conflict. But the Old Testament idea of shalom is very different. It's, it's really nuanced, meaning there are multiple meanings. And, and what you'll find often in the Old Testament that shalom, which is peace, um, has this idea of wholeness, completeness, rest. It has this um, meaning of restoration. It can even refer to internal tranquility, right? Rest, that idea of rest. And in the New Testament, right, Paul talks about peace. Um, uh, he takes it a step further and he talks about it a, as an as a idea of unity and harmony, right? It describes um, what the church ought to strive for among people, what the church should strive for in the world, and what God accomplishes through his son Jesus on the cross to bring harmony and unity between his children and the Father. So, so you have this idea of wholeness and completeness, um, rest, tranquility, harmony, unity in the Bible. And when we, when we think about that, when we, when we think about this idea of peace, we're often inundated with all the things, places, and situations where we need peace, where we need harmony, where we need unity, where we need tranquility, where we need rest, or where we need wholeness and completeness. The prophet Isaiah testifies to God's people in chapter 9 this idea of wholeness and completeness and restoration. Why? Because in chapter 9, the people of God are experiencing great calamity, they're experiencing adversaries, they're 
experiencing hurt, pain, hostility. They're experiencing conflict within, conflict from without. They are a scattered people by Isaiah chapter 9. David's kingdom is divided at this time. Other nations have come in, destroyed the land, destroyed people, have taken over. They find themselves, as Isaiah says, hopeless. They find themselves in dark times. They are confused. They are overwhelmed. They are oppressed. They're disoriented like people who cannot see. And they are saddened by their current status and anxious about their future. And it seems to me very little has changed since the book of Isaiah. It wouldn't take you long to skim through your Twitter feed or news outlet to see that our world is in desperate need for peace. Amen? We're living in a time in which we, the United States, is fighting two proxy wars, one in the Middle East and one in Eastern Europe. There's strife between political ideologies and parties, right? We can't get along. You're a liberal. We can't get along. You're a conservative. There's hostility between countries and religions, right? The Muslims can't get along with the Jews. The Jews can't get along with the Muslims. Muslims and Jews can't get along with the Christians. Christians can't get along with the Christians either, right? (laughs) There's division between races, right? The whites can't get along with the blacks. Blacks can't get along with the whites. And the Latinos are wondering, what are you guys doing? (laughs) But in all seriousness, there's great hostility in our world. Amen? There's clashes between men and women. Men are oppressive. There's contention between Christian denominations. There's animosity within the church. We can't get along with our brothers and sisters, so we're going to go to the 1040 service when they go to the 9, or we're going to switch ABF classes because we we can't get along. There's hatred and persecution in the church all throughout the world. We even have conflicts with each other in our families. We're not going to Thanksgiving dinner because so-and-so is going to be there. We're not going to spend Christmas with this person or that person because of that situation that happened in the past. There's discord among family and friends and not to mention there's contention between us and God. We fight God's plan. We fight God's authority. We're rebellious against his will. We want to live our own lives. We want it our way. We want to tell God how he, he should operate in our lives. We want to dictate to him what theology we want to believe, we want to dictate to God how we want to feel and think, like we are a people who are delusioned with the idea that we live in peace, but in reality, we live in conflict with each other, we live in conflict with God, and we need peace, and oftentimes, that the peace that we're seeking for is the peace that we want, but not the peace that we need. We are in desperate need of peace. We are in desperate need of shalom, wholeness, completeness, tranquility, rest, harmony. We are in desperate need to experience 
that in our world, in our lives, in our relationships. How many of you want peace? Amen. Raise your hand. Come on. You want peace. You want peace in the world. You want peace in your life. You need peace in your marriage. You need peace in your relationships. You want peace. We want to so end the conflicts that are happening in the world. We want to restore relationships. So how do we do it? How do we get peace? What does Isaiah say, right? How, how do we find peace? Who has the peace? What the prophet Isaiah is going to argue in chapter 9, and what the Bible is going to argue, and this is the most basic, fundamental Christian idea that you and I are going to experience, is that true peace, true authentic peace that we're looking for is not found when conflicts end. It's not found in a truce. It's not found in a peace agreement. It's not found in a pact. It is not found in the absence of hostility. True, authentic peace is going to be found in an unexpected way, is going to be found and experienced through Jesus. That is the most basic, fundamental teaching this morning. So if you came here for a basic teaching, you got it. If you're going for something deeper, there's nothing else. That's the simple truth. You want to see peace in the world. You want to see peace in your life. The only way you're going to experience true biblical peace, true shalom in this world and in your life is if you have a personal experience relationship with Jesus. That's the only way you're going to have peace. Yeah, you can clap for that. You guys are in a good mood today. Okay. I'm going to get fired up. Now, that might sound trivial to you. It might, it might sound superficial, meaning like it's not deep enough. But the problem is that we often think that peace can be found through every other relationship, every other person, every other organization and government, right? Right, this is, this is what's happening in the Middle East for decades. We're going to have peace when there's a two-state solution or when they can get together. Here's the story that I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you how this works out. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. You know why? Because the Jews and the Muslims have decided that they're going to reject God. They're not going to listen to God. They're not going to accept that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. So they're going to have conflict like any other religion, like any other person. You, in your life, in our world, in our political system, we are not going to find peace through a political party or a political candidate. If you think next year there's going to be some great resolution to the problems that we have, I'm sorry to tell you, it's not going to happen. Why? Because peace is not found anywhere else but through Jesus. And the problem that you and I have is that we have the posture, we have the attitude is that we want peace, so the way to peace is through me. I can fix it, right? How many of you say it? Like you have conflict in your family, your relationships, your, 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 your life, and, and the solution to the conflict and the hostility is I can fix it. 
If people just listen to me, if people would just do what I say, if I can have more control, if I can have the manipulation power to make this right, we're going to have peace. Uh, hello, we tried that in Genesis. <laughs> Didn't work. I remember when I was in seminary, I didn't want to be a pastor because I knew the Lord was calling me to pastor, but I didn't really want to do it because there were other aspirations that I had. So I went to seminary, I submitted to the Lord, he twisted army for the record. Um, and I go to seminary and here's what happens in seminary. Um, I don't know if there's any seminary students in here, but when you go to seminary, something happens to you. You get a whole lot of book knowledge about the Bible and about theology. And you hear the stories of what's happening in the church, meaning all the churches. And when I was in seminary, I was like, when I go into the church, I'm going to fix it. They're going to do what I say. They're going to learn from me. And everything's going to be fine. There aren't going to be any problems in my church. Right? No problems at all. It's like watching. The, you ever watch cable news? I know you do. I see your Facebook pages. Um, you ever watch cable news? That I, you will, listen, I'll tell you this right now. Anytime you, if you ever have a question about politics or the world or anything that's happened, just turn on cable news because they seem to have the answer to everything. Any commentator has the answer to the problems and, so, and to the problems of our world, the problems of our government, the problems in our politics, the problems in our culture. I mean, you just turn on the TV, they have the solutions. In fact, celebrities have the solutions to all our problems, right? Instagram influencers have the solution to our problem, right? The financial system and companies and the stock market have the solution to our problems in our hostilities and conflicts in our world. Everyone has an answer. And guess what happens? Those answers are not sufficient and they're not right. Why? Because we have the mentality that where there's hostility, where there's disunity in our hearts, in our minds, in our relationships with God, in the world, we can fix it. That's not the way we get peace in our world. That's not the way we're going to find peace in our hearts. That's not the way we're going to experience peace with others. The place that we need to be is the place that we see in Isaiah chapter nine is that we need help. You and I need help. You and I are going to have to face the reality that the hostility that we're feeling only gets resolved is we have a personal relationship, thriving relationship with Jesus. The way our world is going to experience true peace is when people realize they need spiritual help from their spiritual conflict and hostility with God. And when they see that and experience that, that's when they will find peace. Jesus is the answer to the conflict. So, that sounds really good in theory, right? So what does that actually mean practically? Isaiah tells us this really quickly. So, so how do we, how do I, how do, how do you experience peace?
peace in the person of Jesus Christ. One, I'm going to give you a couple, of, a couple of ways to experience peace, right? The first way you and I are going to experience peace is by first realizing that peace starts with you knowing who Jesus Christ. And look at the beginning of verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. On the onset of this verse, the beauty of the incarnation is explained to us and provides us the starting point to experience the fullness of God, to experience true peace, and to experience his peace in his character. The incarnation is right there. A child is born. Jesus is fully human. A son is given. Jesus is fully God. A son isn't born. Notice the difference. A child is born. A son is given. The way you and I are going to experience true, authentic peace in our life and in our world is us realizing that peace starts with knowing who God is through his son Jesus. And that's knowing him as fully human meaning God knows you intimately. Hebrews says he can empathize with us. Why? Why can Jesus empathize with you and me? Meaning, why does Jesus know exactly what we're feeling, exactly what we're thinking, know our experience? Why? Because he walked the same walk that we walked. The feelings, the anxiety, the fears, the trepidation that you have in the world, he knows what that feels like because he is fully human. He knows and has experienced what grief looks like. He knows exactly what you need. But at the same time, Jesus is fully God. A son is given who has the power to resist temptation the power to conquer our fears and the power to overthrow the dominion of sin and death that keep us from experiencing true, authentic peace. Peace begins know, knowing who Jesus is. Fully God, fully man. That's the incarnation. Secondly, the way you and I are going to experience peace Beyond just knowing who Jesus is, the way you and I are going to experience peace is when you and I trust in God's character by letting go. What do I mean by that? Look at the second part of verse 6. What does it say? Second part of verse 6, after it says, For to us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder." And his name shall be called the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. We are often tempted to mistrust God, particularly when we are experiencing great pain, hurt, grief, despair, and conflict. We intellectually know God exists. Many of us here in this room know who Jesus is personally. We have a relationship with him. But we don't trust God fully. We struggle with trusting him. We're scrambling in our lives, right, to find the peace that we're looking for because, because ultimately our sin drives us away from trusting in God's character. 
For many of us, we are far more interested in the kind of peace that we want instead of seeking the peace that we need. And oftentimes, the peace that we want is really happiness. We're not looking for wholeness, completeness. We're not really looking for harmony and unity. What we're really after for after is happiness. That's what we messed up. We, we think when we pursue peace, we're just looking for happiness. So we seek out that type of peace. And Isaiah is saying Jesus is utterly and completely responsible, right? The government of peace, meaning the kingdom of God is is on the shoulders of Jesus, meaning he is responsible to bring about the peace that you need. In our world systems, right, where, where world governments and systems prop up leaders, where constitutions and bylaws uphold its leaders, where people and armies protect and reinforce the leader's, po- leader's power, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of peace that we see in Isaiah 9 doesn't rest in a constitution, bylaw, or army. It rests on the character of who Jesus is. If you want to experience true peace, you have to know and trust who God is. You have to trust them. That, that means that when you're feeling anxious and afraid, where there's conflict and is bringing you fear, you have to believe in your mind and your heart. Though you're stirred by anxiety, you have to believe God is in control. God's plan is working out. I may not feel the peace, but the peace is coming because I'm his child and the Bible promises that he's gonna bring about peace. If you're anxious about the world, if you're anxious about the conflicts in the Middle East, if you're anxious about the conflicts in, the, in, in, in Europe, if you're anxious about the political climate that we find ourselves in, Trust in God's character. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting father. Prince of peace. You are going to experience more rest, tranquility, unity, wholeness, and completeness when you trust in his character. The second thing is this, third thing, excuse me. How do we find peace in Jesus? Well, it's knowing who he is. It's trusting in his character. Thirdly, it's not found in Isaiah chapter nine, but it's found in Isaiah 26. It's, it's, it's oh, excuse me, it's experiencing peace when your mind is focused on Jesus. Isaiah 26.3 says this. Um, I'm going to read it to you. You keep, him, you keep him, this is Jesus talking, right? In perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you, right? So, so here's, here's how you can trust God more, right? Here's how you can experience peace when you're trusting God is when your mind is focused on him, What is your main priority in life? Is it your relationship with Jesus? Or is it money? Is it family? Is it success? Is it the American dream? Is it adventure, fun, and leisure? If that's your main priority, you're often going to find conflict. 
Why? Because Isaiah says in 26, right? Perfect peace is found when you and I are focused on our relationship with Jesus. When you and I have the wrong priorities, meaning, meaning where we're not focused on building our relationship with Jesus. We can do everything else, but that, our main priority is building our relationship with Jesus, focusing on strengthening our relationship with Jesus. When we do that thing, we're going to find peace. We're going to find peace. Right? What does Philippians 4, 8 says? I'll read it to you. It says, finally, brothers, this is Paul talking to the church. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is uh, commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And then he says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen and made, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Peace is experienced when your mind is prioritizing your relationship with Jesus. Everything else is a distraction. The frantic shopping of gifts for Christmas is a distraction. Please go buy the gifts. But the season is meant to focus Jesus. True meaning of Christmas, Jesus. The gifts, secondary. Everything else, right? Everything else is a distraction and an obstacle. Everything else is a distraction and an obstacle to your peace because your peace can only be found in Jesus. Fourth thing, peace is experienced when we make a conscious effort to reject worldly peace. Right? You have to know who Jesus is. You have to trust in Jesus' character. You, you have to not only trust, but you also at the same time have to focus, prioritize your relationship with Jesus. And then you have to make a conscious effort to reject worldly peace. Jesus says in John chapter 14, what does he say? He says, peace I leave you, peace my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give? Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You have to make a conscious effort to reject worldly peace. That's what Jesus says, John chapter 14. And what is worldly peace? Worldly peace is a counterfeit peace. It's a fake harmony, wholeness, Rest is a fake tranquility, right? In fact, like I said before, what I think we interpret as peace in our world is, is personal happiness, right? It's, it's personal happiness. This is, this is why we have truce. This is why we have pacts. This is why we have agreements. This is why we have divorce settlements, right? Why? What are you willing what, what are you willing to settle for? What, are you, what type of happiness are you willing to settle for, right? That's the whole point of a divorce agreement. What are you willing, what type of happiness are you willing to settle for? And we think that's peace. 
right? Eventually, as these two wars come to an end, someone's gonna have to step in. One of the adults in the room have to step in and say, what are you willing to settle for? And it ends up being, what, are you, what type of happiness are you willing to settle for? That's worldly peace. Jesus says, that's not the peace that I offer. It isn't an agreement to ensure your happiness. It's an everlasting covenant. It's an everlasting promise that I'm going to bring about a spiritual peace, meaning everything is going to be in harmony. Everyone will live in harmony and I will execute harmony through justice and righteousness. Perfect peace. Peace, like I said before, it's not found in the truce. It's not found in a pact. It's not found in agreement. It's not found in the world. Authentic true peace is found and experienced through Jesus. So, so what do we do? Okay, Tim, got it. You could have cut the sermon down in 15 minutes if you just said that and just left it at that. We could have sang two more songs. Okay, so what do we do? We, we know Jesus is coming back. We know that he's gonna establish a kingdom of peace. We know that, that Jesus provides peace right now. So what do we do as we wait for that kingdom of peace? What do we do as we wait? For that promise, right? Isaiah 9, for that promise to be completely and fully experienced by the people of God in the new heavens, new earth, new creation, right? What do we do as we wait? Well, the Bible tells us what we do as we wait for the Prince of Peace. Notice, side note, notice that the Isaiah 9 calls Jesus um, the Prince of Peace. Why, I thought about this. Why, why do you think that, that the Bible doesn't say King of Peace? Though Jesus is King. I think, I think the reason why Isaiah um, uses twofold, the prince of peace, one is because he's the administrator of peace, he controls peace, but secondly, I think it, a prince is a, a king in waiting. And I think this is what we're going to see, the final realization of God's kingdom of peace is when he is finally, which he is now, that's why we live in the already and not yet, meaning we know Jesus is king, but our world has not experienced the true kingdom until he comes back. So the Bible says he's the prince of peace, like a prince in waiting to become king. Though he's the king of our hearts, he's the king of this world. We're living in the already and not yet, right? We see it, but we haven't fully experienced it. So what do we do in that waiting? What do we do in the already and not yet? The Bible says, as we wait for this kingdom of peace, as we wait for the prince of peace to be the king of peace and execute his peace once and for all, the Bible says, as we wait, what should we do? Pray for peace. We pray for peace, Philippians 4, 6, right? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart. What does the peace guard you from? Falling into the temptation of living in anxiety and fear and conflict. As we wait for the Prince of Peace, we pray for peace. Secondly, we pursue peace. It is not okay that we do not live in harmony with each other as believers. It is not okay that there is disunity in the church and our family amongst our friends. 
It's not okay. That's not how God designed us to be. He designed us, he designed the church to live in unity, to live in rest, tranquility, wholeness, completeness. So as we wait for the Prince of Peace, we have to pursue, meaning we have to go after peace amongst ourselves. You don't believe me, I'll give you a Bible verse. 2 Corinthians 13 says, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. As we're waiting for the Prince of Peace to establish his kingdom of peace, we pursue harmony with each other. Now, I want, I want to tell you something. Bible, Matthew 18 says that we have an issue with a brother or sister in Christ. We need to approach them with it so that we can live in harmony with each other. But this is the caveat. When we pursue peace with each other, when we pursue peace in the church and with other people, we don't pursue peace so that we can be right. This is the problem in a lot of arguments and relationships. We, we argue to be right. No, we pursue peace in our relationships, not to be right. We pursue peace in our relationships to be loving and gracious and kind. You want to settle animosity and hostility between other people? Pursue peace. But it's not for you to be right and for them to see that you're right. It's for you to be gracious and kind and loving towards them. It's not to be right. Third thing, as we wait for peace, we not only pray for it, we pursue it, but we believe that Jesus provides the peace that we need right now. I'm reminded of the story of Jesus in the boat. Remember, the disciples, they're out at sea, a storm comes, Jesus is sleeping, and the disciples wake Jesus up and says, hey, don't you see? We're in trouble. And what does Jesus do? Jesus says, peace, be still. If Jesus is able to bring peace to the hearts of his disciples by calming a raging storm, then surely Jesus can bring peace into whatever situation you find yourself in. I love the end of verse 7. The end of verse seven says in Isaiah nine, it says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You know why we can believe that God is going to bring the peace that you and I need? It's because God is compelled to do so. Meaning God is jealous to accomplish peace in our lives. God's righteous devotion provokes him to establish a kingdom of peace, to establish peace in you, to establish peace in our world because God is jealous. He's provoked to do it. And I love the idea, you know, it uses one of the titles of, of, of God. It says, the Lord of hosts, meaning the Lord of angel armies. How is God going to bring peace? He's going to once and for all 
destroy the power of sin and death in your life. Why? Because he's provoked to do so. True, authentic peace is found in the most unexpected way. It's found in the person of Jesus Christ. If you're looking for peace in this world, if you're looking peace for within yourself to, to control or manipulate or to manufacture, you're not going to find it. If you're looking for peace in your relationship, if you're looking peace in someone else, a leader, a powerful influencer, you're not going to find peace. But if you're going to look for peace, you're going to find it in Jesus. Where does your peace lie? As we celebrate Christmas, where does your peace lie? The issue, the problem, the conflict, the hostility. Where does it lie? In you, someone else? Let's pray. Father God, you are the Prince of Peace. And we thank you that you're going to establish your kingdom of peace one day. As we wait for that day, we ask you, O oh Lord, that you would convict our hearts to find peace in your son, Jesus. And as we wait for the peace that you're going to bring, that we would surrender our anxious thoughts, our conflict, our problems, the fears that we have about our world and our country, that we would place it in your hands and that you would give us the boldness you will give us the ability to trust in you. We ask you this in Christ's name. And the people of God say. This has been a message from the chapel in Akron, Ohio. Thanks for joining us today. Our Sunday morning services are at 9 and 1040 a.m. You can join us online for our services by going to akronlive.thechapel.life. For more information about the chapel, please visit our website at thechapel.life.